Well, good morning again. This morning, I'd like for us to just uh, do a little something that has to do with uh, Thanksgiving. As such, if you have uh, your copy of the scriptures or a device that contains them, I invite you to take it and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we've been going through a series. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, the wealth and walk of the church. And, of course, we are past the wealth of the church, the first four chapters, excuse me, the first three chapters dealing with what God has done and given us in Christ. And now we're dealing with the walk of the church, uh, how we should live responsibly in light of what God has done in us. And, of course, um, I said Thanksgiving because this morning I'm going to deal with the topic this, this morning and next week and perhaps the following week too. Uh, we're going to talk about the topic of anger. And you say, well, what does that have to do with Thanksgiving? Well, everything, because I found that people who are angry typically are people who aren't very thankful about the things that they're going through. That's why they're angry. And so we want to talk about how to deal with anger. And as we look at this, I just want to turn your attention to a few verses. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we'll look at verse, actually we'll start with 25. Um, we've been talking about putting on the new self. What is the new self? Well, that's the new life that God's created uh, in Christ and of course, we said there are three components to that new life, that fresh start that we talked about. We said there was a change in my heart. God has affected a change in my head and then a change in my habits, those three things. And they covered the gamut from verses 25 down through 32. And of course, we looked at a change in our heart last week. You can go back to the verses, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 25, he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. That speaks to the change in my heart because we are to speak truth, first of all, in our hearts. And then in verse 26, he says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. That deals with our heads, because typically anger is a result of my thinking incorrectly. And then a change in my habits, he picks up verses 28 and following. He says, if you used to steal, stop it, right? Quit stealing, but start working so that instead of taking, you have something to give, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we started teasing that out last week, last time, excuse me, a few weeks ago. Uh, we looked at that matter of speaking truth. And this morning, we want to deal just with verse 26. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Father, thank you so much again uh, for this day and all that you've allowed us to do. Uh, thank you for allowing us, first of all, to get up and to get out and to get in uh, in a reasonable portion of health. Thank you for those who once were down and not able to be 
out and about, and yet, Father, in your grace and mercy, you strengthen them to the point where they're able to begin to do so. Um, thank you for the caches being with us. And, and others, Father, that you've strengthened along the way, and others that are in the process of being strengthened. We just want to praise you. Uh, it all comes from you and uh, your healing ways, Father. Uh, thank you for allowing us to assemble together. Thank you even for our guests that are here as a result of our trunk or treat uh, endeavors. And I pray your blessings upon them. May the word uh, be relevant and speak to their hearts as the Spirit drives it in. And Father, thank you that we get this privilege of sitting at your feet. Uh, we were thrilled to be able to discuss your word in Sunday school. We were grateful to be able to sing about your goodness, your greatness, your grandeur uh, during our worship time. And now, Father, as we sit at your feet, we are grateful to hear from heaven. And so still our hearts quiet us, keep us calm, that we might receive with meekness the engrafted word. May we not throw up barriers to prevent the penetration of your word, but instead, may we be open and honest and available to you as you speak to us from your word. Bind Satan, we ask, that he may not hinder anything that is said or about to be said, that he might not steal from the hearts the things that you lay upon it, but that, Father, we will receive it. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the thanksgiving we pledge to do according to all your will as you reveal it to us. Thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Be angry and yet do not sin sounds like a contradiction because, you know, usually when you're angry, you want to do something. And yet... Uh, Anger is something that God has built into us. It is an emotion. It is not a sin to be angry. Obviously, because we're going to look at in a minute someone who was angry and that person had no sin. So it's not a sin to be angry, but the God who says be angry says what? Don't sin. So there are limitations, there are parameters under which the anger is okay, but once you cross the barrier, uh, then it becomes a sin. So we want to be able to understand the difference and act accordingly. I was reading a story, and I think I related to you once before. I can never remember. I tell so many stories that I can't keep up with them. <laughs> there was a, a father... Uh, who had a son that had real bouts of anger. He was angry all the time. And so the father said to the son, he said, listen, I want, this is what I want you to do. Take a hammer and go to the shed, get a hammer and some nails. And he says, every day that you're angry, I want you to pound the nail into the trunk of that tree, that big oak outside. And so he did. And, you know, every day he's angry, he's pounding nails and you know, in fact, every time he got angry, he had to pound in a nail. And after a while, he looked, he said, man, that's a lot of nails. I need to stop being so angry. And so, you know, as he went along, he worked on being less angry, and he reached a point where he went a whole day without being angry. And so he said to his dad, listen, I went all day, uh, and I was not angry today. And the father said, that's great, son. Here's what you do. Here's a reward. For every day that you go without being angry, I want you to go and pull one of those nails out of that tree. And so he started working. You know, he 
Win a day, pull out a nail. Win a day, pull out a nail. He was happy, you know. Yeah, I'm getting the nails out. Finally, after a long time, he got all the nails out. And he went to his father and he says, last nail, I've taken every nail out. I've gone all this time without being angry. And the father said, okay, son, let's go look at that tree. And they walked over and he's looked and he said, now you see the trunk of that tree? He says, uh, what do you see? He says, well, it's, it's full of holes from the nails. He says, do you think that tree will ever, that trunk will ever be the same again? He said, no, it, it's going to always have those holes in it. He said, that's life. See, when you get angry, there is an impression that you make and it's irretrievable. The boy learned his lesson. I don't want to go through life being angry. Because there's a damage that takes place in my heart and in the lives and hearts of those to whom I'm angry and to whom I express my anger. So we don't want to go around being angry. In fact, Scripture says in Proverbs, don't be in a hurry to be angry because anger resides in the bosom of fools. And you don't want to be one of those. Well, how do you know when your anger is okay and when your anger is not okay? When is it bad to be mad? And when is it not bad to be mad? How do I know when it's okay to be angry? Well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about (laughs) good anger. (laughs) All right, if there is such a thing. Mark 11, verses uh, 15 through 18 or 15 through 17, actually. I put them up in the New Living Translation uh, because it reads a little different, right? It says, this is Jesus. When he arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple. And when he went into the temple, do you know what he saw, right? He saw all these stations, you know, they had the the inner um, uh, part of the temple for the men, and then behind there, they had a court for the women, and then outside in the back, they had a court for the Gentiles. And in the court for the Gentiles, they had the little stations, you know, uh, they had the sheep station, and the cow station, and the corn station, and the money changing station, and all, you know, they were buying and selling all that stuff in the temple uh, out there in the furthermost courtyard, and Jesus was angry. And so he began to drive out the merchants and their customers. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the stalls of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from bringing in merchandise. Said, man, Jesus was hot. And yes, he was. And he taught them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a place of prayer for all nations. And I think the all nations is strategic because they're selling that stuff out there where the Gentiles were and not where they themselves, the the people with the insights were. He said, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus was angry, so obviously it is not a sin to be angry. Well, how do you know when anger is righteous? Let me give you five characteristics. I know you were waiting for three, but I'm going to... 
You get bonus today because it's first Sunday, right? Okay, five characteristics of righteous anger. Number one, it is altruistic. What do I mean by that 25-cent word, altruistic? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's not for your own benefit. It's not selfish. It's, it's other-focused, and it adds value to other people. Now, Jesus is not angry because of his, his, his own disadvantages. He's angry because they does something that brings repute to the name of God and has harmed the testimony of God in the eyes of those Gentiles who were coming to seek God. He's angry because they've done wrong and that wrong has offended the name of God and the people who are seeking God. The altruistic anger, it responds to injustice. When you see something that's wrong, listen, there's some things that ought to make you mad. Right? If you can put up with anything, then something wrong with you, right? You should respond to injustice. You ought to hate wickedness and evil and injustice and people who take advantage of other people. You know, sometimes there are television shows that well, I guess I won't get into that. Because, you know, most of the shows that come on now I can't look at. You know, I look at sports, you know, and you know, sci-fi movies, because none of them make any sense, right? But, but anyway, I, I, I don't want to digress. See, it responds to injustice. It responds to God's honor being defamed. And when someone is putting down God's reputation, especially when it's because they're misliving, then there's an anger that wells up. It responds to prejudice when people are put down because of the color of their skin, when people are, are mistreated, you know, when, when you've got the Palestinians uh, who are angry at the Jews for going in to exterminate Hamas after Hamas has gone in and attacked the innocent. And I, you know, I talked about this on Wednesday, right? Probably a couple of Wednesdays. And, you know, they, they went in and, what, 1,600 people they killed? And what kinds of people? They didn't kill soldiers. They went in uh, the elderly, right? People who were feeble and frail, uh, women and children who typically don't fight, they aren't armed. Uh, they uh, took uh, women and um, they uh, nursing mothers, right? And they tied them up and, and tied their babies up with them and set them on fire and all this kind of evil stuff. And And then when... The Jews said, we're going to fight back against this. Then people are like, we need a free Palestine. The Jews are getting what they deserve. Really? You know, and things like that. Make your blood boil. You know, if you can watch people being tortured. You know, that's why, you know, those, uh, those movies that come on during the month of October, Right? Just, just crazy stuff, you know. People cutting up people and cutting down people and doing all kinds of mean-spirited things to harm people and slashing movies. Um, why do they make those things? And then when they see all kinds of slashing stuff taking place in society, they say, well, mental illness. Get the mess off the movies. That might help. But anyway... They're going to do what makes the money. So, yeah. But righteous anger is altruistic. It, it cares about others and, and, and it's for their benefit. A second 
Second characteristic of righteous anger is it doesn't nurse grudges. <laughs> it doesn't nurse grudges. I mean, this is kind of a significant thing. Now, you know, if if you see somebody walk in and, you know, you just lose it. And it's like, not you. I remember what you did. I'm like, yeah, I was 16 at the time and now I'm 58. You still mad about that? You ain't gotten over that yet? You no, know, we just, just hold on. We nurse the grudge, and we don't want to forgive people ever for the things that they did. You put them into a cage, and you don't want to let them out. Right? You don't want to forgive them for what they did. And you don't want to think about the fact that God's forgiven you for everything that you did. That's beside the point, right? You know. But nursing grudges, that ain't righteous. You say, well, they shouldn't have done what they did. Well, yeah, but it, you're not righteous in what you're doing in expressing your anger and your disapproval, and especially when you're trying to pay them back for what they did. Uh, you know, one of the things that happens with people, uh, you know, who are bitter, you know, when you're angry with someone, sometimes you'll do some things that you think will even up the scale. <laughs> That's wrong, too, right? Vengeance is whose? When you say vengeance is mine, you're quoting God. You're not stating a principle for you, okay? Vengeance is not yours. God says vengeance is his, right? But you say, well, I'm just evening up the scale. You know, when a person is bitter, you know the scale's broken. And because it's broken, that means no matter what you do, you can never make up, right? You can say, well, you know, I paid for that 25 times over. They're still mad. I, I've, I've gone out of my way to, to bless you. They still, man, they can never get over the anger because they've steeped into bitterness. The, uh, if a person does not, is not willing to forgive someone for the thing that they've done, then you nurse that, it turns to bitterness, right? And you can never get out of that, see? Uh, who was it that said, I will never uh, allow someone to, to drive me to the point where I hate them and won't forgive them, that's just too far. You say, well, I can't help it, Pastor Ray. Yeah, you can. And I'll tell you why. You know what the scripture says in Leviticus? I put the verses up, right? The verses, Leviticus 19, 18, it says, you shall not take vengeance. Payback is not your prerogative, right? <laughs> Nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. Now listen, those last four words, I am the Lord, is very, very important. Because the word Lord, Yahweh, he's the, I'm, I'm the personal God. We have a relationship. Now how can two walk together unless they're in agreement? So if you're going to walk with me, God says, then we're going to have to walk in agreement. And God walks in love. So if you're going to walk with him, guess how you got to walk? You got to walk in love, right? God says, I'm the Lord. I'm the, the covenant-keeping God. I'm the one who forgives sin. I'm the one who dismisses wrong. I'm the one who cares. And listen, I, I want you to walk with me. If you're going to walk with me, you don't have to be like me. See? So you, you can't say, I love the Lord, but I can't stand you. No, no, no. That's hypocrisy. In fact, that's deception. 
He says, I'm the Lord. So when you know who I am, when you recognize who I am, then you're going to have to be like me if you're going to walk with me. And that's why he says, I'm the Lord. So you don't do it because I said don't do it. You know, I learned a long time ago that, you know, the biggest issue in life, well, the two big issues. Number one is who's the boss? And number two is what does the boss want? (laughs) That's pretty much it, right? So when there's something going on, I may want to go this way, but who's the boss, right? You are. What do you want? I want you to go that way. Right? Right? You just got to do what the boss says. I, I don't have pocket veto. I, I can't reach out or reach into my pocket and slap a veto onto the will of God, the, the law of God. I don't have that prerogative. He's, he's the boss. Because he's the boss, then I have to do what he says. So I don't like that. Well, you got a problem. Psalm 30, I love this. This, this gets back to this thing about not nursing grudges. He says, sing praise to the Lord, Yahweh, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Why? His anger is but for a moment. You know, God don't stay mad. Now, people stay mad. You know, sometimes I would think they're, you know, how do people express anger? I say it's by what they say, Right? And the say is S-A-Y, right? <laughs> the thing, the S is for speaking. Sometimes, you know, people get angry, they, they speak a foreign language. You know, when they calm down, they say, pardon my French. Say, oh, is that what that was? I mean, I heard that word a lot, but I mean, I didn't know that was French, right? But they say something to let you know they're angry. Or the A is for avoid. You know, they just, they, they don't want to talk to you. You know, sometimes you come home, you know you're in the doghouse, right? You come home and the temperature is like 30 degrees lower in the house. I don't mean the temperature physically. I mean the emotional temperature, the environment. And you're like, whoa, it's cold in here. And, you know, if, if you've been married less than five years, you, you fool yourself into thinking, she mad, I can say something, I can be clever or funny and get her out of it. That don't work. Right, just, just just you know, ride it out. Take your lumps. I mean, just you know, it'll, it'll be okay. You can't fix that, right? You can say you're sorry and then let her ride it out. And she, when she gets tired of avoiding you, right? Uh, I mean, don't don't buy her stuff because if you do that, you know, you end up where you you start out. <laughs> you buy something every time she's mad, you're going to have a house full of stuff, right? Because <laughs> you're always going to do something. Well, anyway. <laughs> so anyway, you know, people, they, they speak, and, and then sometimes they, they, they avoid you, right? But anyway, let's, let's, let's move on. I won't give you the why. Let's just go on. Number, number th- he says, his anger is but for a moment. His favor, though, is for a lifetime. God is, he's looking for opportunities and reasons to be good to people and, and to bestow blessings on us. And, you know, that should be us being like him. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God as dear children and, and walk in love. 
So be like him. But many times I want to be an extractor and not a benefactor. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. See, God doesn't nurse anger overnight. He, he just dismisses it. And I need to be like him. So if, if I woke up mad, you know, some people, you, you say, did you wake up on the wrong side? No, they went to bed on the wrong side, right? They, they never did forgive the offense. And they nursed it all through. They didn't sleep half the night because they tossed and turned thinking of how they're going to get even. I'm, I'm sorry. That's not you. I mean people that I've heard about. I don't mean you, right? Because you don't do that kind of stuff. And they wake up in the morning and they're still mad. They go to work mad. You know, I was um, reading about a guy... He, he fell asleep on the job, and his friends, his, his coworkers, were, they were laughing at him. So one got a little thing of that Limburger cheese, that stinky stuff, and they put it under his nose while he was asleep. When he woke up, he, he said, ooh, something stinks. He looked at his coworker and said, man, you stink. And he walked, go to another room. He says, ooh, it stinks in here. And he went outside. He said, man, the whole world stinks. But the problem wasn't the world. And the problem wasn't the room. The problem wasn't his co-worker. The problem was with him. And sometimes the problem is with me. And I'm angry with everybody else and everything else. I don't want to speak to anybody. You know, you mess around and, you, you know, you trying to do day trading or something silly like that. And you mess around and lose some money and then you you mad, right? Say, honey, how you doing? Shut up, right? And you just, you know, you just, what's wrong with you, you know? And you're just mad, angry, and it's not their fault. And you can nurse the hurt. Third thing about righteous anger, not only is it altruistic and it does not nurse grudges, but it tends to be directed. It, it is directed. See, if, if, if you're mad at people and, and they say, why are you mad? You can't even tell them why you're mad, right? You have a, a problem. I read this quote. It says, anger without a focus. You can't see that down at the bottom. That was too big. It says, anger without a focus is a tantrum, right? You know, kids throw tantrums. Why? Because they're just like adults, right? Adults throw tantrums too. But, you know, 1 Kings 24, uh, 21, there's a story of, of Ahab. And maybe you remember uh, Ahab the king, wicked king that he was, married to a wicked wife, Jezebel. And a wicked king, Ahab, he looked out and, and next door to his palace, there was this vineyard. He wanted it. And it was owned by this guy named Naboth. He's like, I got to have that vineyard. So he goes to Naboth and he says, Naboth, dude, I, I, I want to buy that, that vineyard from you. Because it's right door to me and I'm going to make it into a vegetable garden. And Naboth says, no. He says, well, I mean, you know, I'll pay you for it. This is not eminent domain we're talking here. I mean, I'll pay you for it. In fact, I'll I give you more than it's worth. No. So, okay, I know you drive a hard bargain, 
I'll, I'll give you double what it's worth. And Naboth says, no. Listen, this, this, this property was given to me. It's an inheritance from the Lord. I can't give my inheritance from God to you. I can't sell it to you at any price. And Ahab understands he ain't going to get that vineyard. So what did he do? He does what all men do. And he go home man, pouting, sit down, and Miss Jezebel, what's wrong with you? I want to buy that vineyard from Nabal. He won't sell it to me. And she said, aren't you the king? Right? You're the king of the land. What do you mean he won't sell it to you? Are you a man or a mouse? Squeak up. Right? Come on. This is going to get you a chicken sandwich or something. I'll take care of it. You just don't know what to do. Ahab goes on to get a chicken sandwich. She goes and hires some people. Say, listen, I want you to just have a feast and, and hire some worthless guys, pay them a little bit, and put Naboth at the head of the feast. And then have those worthless guys get up and lie on him and say he blasphemed God, then take him out and stone him. That's what the queen says. We, okay. You know, you, the politicians rule. You do what they say. And so next thing you know, Naboth is dead. So she comes home. She said, um, remember that, that, that vineyard you wanted? Yeah. He said, well, you can get it now. He said, well, Naboth won't sell it to me. Oh, no, Naboth is dead. Really? How did that? Naboth is dead. You want the vineyard, go get the vineyard. <laughs> I dig the dog. He's good. He goes to get the thing. Now, in the end, it cost him his life, didn't it? It cost him his life. It cost his wife her life. Because God saw. See, sometimes you 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 in a pitch in a fit. You're angry because you can't have your way. That's not righteous anger. And when it's not righteous anger, you'll do something, <laughs> Brother Strozier, that's stupid, right? Don't make no sense. That's why Amnon, when he was lusting after his stepsister and knew that he could not have her. And of course, you know, when you, when you want what you want, but you also know that what you want is not what God approves of, that's when you have a problem. See? And so either you're going to say yes to God and back off that crazy will or you're going to listen to a friend. You ever notice how Satan always has a friend that'll come along and tell you how to get what you want? And you listen to them if you want to. And he did. Friend told him how to have his way. Do you know as soon as he raped his half-sister, Scripture says anger set in. Because he realized that, that what he wanted so desperately wasn't something that really satisfied him ultimately. And he was angry. He was angry at her for not being the source of his delight. He was angry with himself. He's just angry and had her kicked out. Anger's like that. I don't want to pursue my will 
if my will violates God's will, there's a difference. If, if I'm angry because something happened and then next thing you know, I'm taking it out on people, then the anger is not channeled. It's not directed. I'm, it's just out there. And it just slaps people at the time because they happen to walk into the room or be in the way. And you punish people because you're mad about something. And so what are you mad about? But don't talk to me. I'm just mad. That doesn't make any sense. But that's what we do. Sometimes we do that with our kids. I, I shouldn't go there, right? You know, because we are all loving parents and we never mistreat our children. We never get frustrated with our children for doing things that don't make any sense. We don't ever yell at our kids and scream and call them names because they do things that don't make any sense. That's, that's not us, right? Our anger is directed as righteous anger is. Righteous anger is also useful, number four, it's useful. Um, I put down Galatians 2.11 because Galatians 2.11 is just a situation that you are familiar with. Um, in, in Galatia, um, Peter and his entourage went down and they were hanging out in Galatia and fellowshipping with the Gentile believers there. And they were eating together. Now, I'm pretty sure the the Galatians weren't eating kosher food. So if they were eating together, Peter was eating stuff that Jews don't normally eat. But then some homies came from Jerusalem, representatives from James, and when Peter saw them, you know, he just kind of moonwalked away from those Gentiles. And he separated himself. And when... He did that. Everybody else did that, even Barnabas. And, you know, they would have been cool except for one thing. Paul saw him. And when Paul saw him, he would, oh, no, you didn't. He said, I confronted Peter before them all. I got right in his grill. Why? Because you are not walking upright as defined by the gospel. You're making God look bad. How dare you? So Paul was angry, but it's a righteous anger because Peter was misrepresenting the truth of the word of God. He's misliving, or he's really living a hypocritical life. And he had to be corrected. He had to be challenged on that. You know, it's like like Henry Barr said many years ago, silence is not always golden. (laughs) Sometimes it's just plain yellow, right? And we don't want to tell people what they need to hear. We don't help them by being silent about the thing they need to do. We don't help them by not correcting them when they're wrong. See? Okay. Finally, love is, is controlled. Love is righteous, excuse me, righteous anger <laughs> is controlled. Now, you know, righteous anger doesn't act crazy. You know, in our society, we have people that they get upset and then they go and have target practice and shoot and kill 16 people. And they call that mental illness. I figure, well, if they ill anyway, just go and put them down. You know, but that's not loving, is it? It's just, though, put them down. Okay, anyway, Psalm 103, I, I love this, and I, I put this up 
This, this really almost moved me to tears. It talks about the Lord, and I just, when it says the Lord, he's, he's compassionate, and, and, and he's gracious. And then I look in the mirror, and I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm just so unlike you, but, but that's how I want to be. I want to be like you compassionate and gracious. I don't want to hold grudges. I don't want to be angry and irritable. I don't want to be frustrated. I don't want to be frustrating. I don't want to be the person that I walk in the door, people go, oh no, right? I don't want to be that guy. I want to be like you. He's, he's just compassionate and, and he's gracious. Look at that, that next phrase. <laughs> Slow to anger. It takes God a long time to get upset with you. Right? Aren't you glad about that? When I was in seminary, there was a um, there was one of those um, uh, cartoons. I forget the guy's name. Um, mm, that's a shame. I'm getting old, dur. But he, you know, the cartoon. There was this picture. This, this guy is standing. He's sitting at his computer, and uh, there's a person walking. They look like they're just crazy, acting silly. And God has his finger on the smite button. (laughs) (laughs) Smite! Aren't you glad God doesn't have his finger on the smite button when he looks at you and the crazy things that you do? He's he's slow to anger. And he's abounding in loving kindness. You see, I circled the word loving kindness. Those of you that are in the discipleship course, you'll recognize that when you're reading a passage and you see a word and then the word repeats and you circle them to kind of get an idea of what the theme is or, or one of the important emphases in the passage. And God's loving kindness, he begins with God's loving kindness, he ends with God's loving kindness, there's a bracket in between. You know, his loving kindness, he won't always strive with me, he won't always keep his anger forever. God may be angry about the things that I do, but he doesn't stay angry. What he does, he he works on me to to correct my misbehavior. You know what that's like. You remember your kids when they were little? Most of us are empty nesters. The little rugrats, uh, the little darlings, and the little crazy things they do. You know, you have your son, and and he loves to climb up on chairs. I remember uh, Gene Guess, he said uh, when his son was, when he was young, he loved to climb up on chairs. And so what his mom did, she didn't spank him all the time. Maybe she got tired of spanking him. She just took the chairs and she hung them up out of his reach. <laughs> so so he, he couldn't climb up on the chairs, right? That's how you deal with that. I mean, it's, it's easier to do that than to pound on the kid, right? And, you know, God, he, he works with me in mercy and compassion and tenderness. In fact, you know, we were talking yesterday in the men's prayer breakfast about training up a child in the way he should go. And, and it just means that you observe the child and you see how God has designed the child and then you just kind of craft an environment that allows you to teach the child. And as the child goes through the stages of life, then you adjust the way you teach them to match the, the, um, the life station in which they are, and you adjust your 
method according to their life station, and all the while training them to be the kind of person that God wants them to be. And that's what the verse is talking about. So that they always learn to see things from God's perspective. And it takes a lot of time to do that. You have to watch the child, and you have to be very, very patient. Well, God is like that. He's patient with me. Verse 10 says he's not dealt with us according to our sins. If he did, how many of us would be here? Zero. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness. That word has said, it means loyal love. God, he has given promises, and God, he focuses more on his promises and keeping his word than on my little precocious ways. So he's always faithful to do what he promised to do in spite of my ways. He's always, God is not an actor, but he's always in character. That'll preach, right? No, maybe it won't. But anyway, he's always in character. He acts out of who he is. And I love that. And he's telling me that that's how I should be. He's, his loving kindness toward those who fear him. Verse 13, or is it verse 12? Next slide. It says, as far as the, the east is from the west, right? You know that the, as simple as it is, you can reach the North Pole. You reach a point where you can't go north anymore, right? And then you're going south. You reach the South Pole, there's a point that you can't go south anymore. You got to go north. But it's not like that with the east and the west. East never meets west. So when he says as far as the east is from the west, that means you'll never see the sin again. And that's how he's treated us. That's how he's removed our transgressions. Like a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 14. God knows you ain't nothing. Really. You ain't about nothing. You ain't strong as nothing. You just dust and you gone. Right? He bears in mind how weak and frail you are. He bears in mind how prone to go astray I am. God, he takes into consideration, well, I know him. I made him. I know what he's going to do. And he works with me anyway. You know, I was, I was saying to someone that, you know, we were talking about marriage. And I said, uh, you know, my wife's my best friend. Because she knows me, she knows more about me than anybody else in the world. But she loves me anyway. That's, that's what God does. He knows me inside and out. He knows all the things about me that you ain't never going to know. But he still loves me. He still cares for me. And he doesn't let all of the dirt, even the dirt that he knows is coming, <laughs> right? he doesn't let it factor in to his love for me. His love for me never changes. And I can, I can trust that. <laughs> So, in dealing with anger, I would say you look at those, if, if, if your anger isn't one of those five, 
<clears throat> then your anger isn't righteous. And maybe then you need to ask yourself, how do I deal with anger? How, how do you deal with anger? Now, I'm going to turn back to this again at the end of these sessions, but I wanted to put this up front and deal with it. Um, I think I, I went through this, I'm pretty sure, on a Wednesday, talking about four principles for dealing with anger. And I used the acrostic turn. And Exodus 32 was the passage from which I pulled these. Now, God is he's saying to Moses, uh, you know, the children of Israel are knuckleheads, right? Nothing new. But I love the way God says to Moses, go down at once. Remember, he's up there getting the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and the people are down there partying and acting crazy and worshiping a golden calf. He says, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them and made the golden calf, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Verse 9, he says, I've seen his people they are obstinate, they're stiff-necked, they're hard-hearted, they're knuckleheads. So now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then I'll make of you a great nation. I, I do a makeover, an extreme makeover. But what is Moses' response? Next slide, he says, Moses, he entreated the Lord. He didn't say, oh, you're going you gonna to make me a great nation? <laughs> sure. Okay. That's not what he did. He entreated the Lord, and then he, he asked the question. He says, why are you angry? Now, let me pause there long enough to say that when you have a person who is angry, what you want to do is get them to think. Because right now they're angry and they're feeling but you want them to turn from feeling to thinking. And one of the ways to do that is to get them to think about why they're doing what they're doing. So you say, well, why are you doing that? Why, why are you angry? God, why are you angry? But he didn't say my people. He said, why are you angry with your people that you brought from the land of Egypt? I didn't bring up no people. They're not my people. Those are your people. Why are you angry with your people that you brought up with great power and a mighty hand? Why, why should the Egyptians speak? You know, you got a reputation at stake. What's going to happen if you destroy those people? What are the Egyptians going to say about you if you destroy these people? See, I mean, have you thought about that? You say, well, man, you shouldn't talk to God like that. Well, listen, God is angry with his people, but, but God knows exactly what he's going to do. And he's, he's allowing Moses to speak a word that is appropriate in principle for us. So that we know how to deal with people who are angry. He says, he says turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. And then we look at the next slide. It says, he says, he says, he says, remember, remember your servants. You, you know, you promised them, right? You made the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's going to happen if you break your word? If you destroy these people, you won't be keeping your word. You can't do that. 
It says, so verse 14 says, the Lord changed his mind about the harm that he said he would do to his people. He said, wait a minute now. You mean God really changed his mind? Well, God knew what he wanted to do. Just like when, when Jesus is, is, he has the disciples and he sees 5,000 people. He says, where can we get bread to feed all these people? He already knows what he's going to do. But he's asking them to get them engaged. He's, he's saying this to Moses to get Moses engaged so that we can learn how to deal with angry people. And there are four principles found here that I put on the next slide. And this is where we end. We'll circle back around it. Four principles for dealing with anger. The T is for turn. Actually, you could just hit all four of them and, and we'll wrap it up, Lydia. Just... Um, Click the button, yeah. First of all, treat the mind. Appeal to logic. He asked God, he said, why? Why are you angry? Why are you doing this, right? Get the person to think about, you know, you want to do a beat down on somebody? Why, why are you doing that? Why are you angry like that? And get them to think about, well, you know, I, I have a reason. And then... Point out the consequences. What's going to happen if you do that? Right? You know, God came to <laughs> do some um, things to the pharmacy. And I said, you know, if you shoot the pharmacist, me, um, you know, that's, they, they'll put you away for a long time. Is, is that what you want? Do you want to spend the rest of your life in prison? Is, I mean, is, uh, so you can get a couple of pills? Is, is that really what you want to do here? Well, right? I mean, th- th- think about it. Think about the consequences. In fact, I would say if you could get a person to think about the consequences of their choices when they want to do something stupid, nine times out of nine times, they won't do the stupid thing. They just, uh, they're feeling and they're upset, but they're not thinking rationally, so you just point it out to them. Is, are you sure that's what you want to do? And then refresh their memory. Remember, there was a time he's saying to God, remember what you promised to the big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? you, you, You did make those promises to them, didn't you? Yeah, okay, well then, Nudge them to change their mind. They turn from your anger. You know, give it up. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's really not a wise thing to do. And so God changed his mind. And so when I'm dealing with angry people, and I'm, I'm putting this up now because the angry person might be the person that's looking back at you and when you stand in the mirror. And if it's that person the same principles apply. You need to stop and ask that person, you know, why are you doing this? You know, why, why do you want to do that to that brother or that sister? What's going to happen? You know, what chain of reactions are you going to set in motion if you do this? Are you sure you want that? And then nudge them to turn from the thing that they're wanting to do. God says be angry. Yeah. 
Anger is an emotion that God has placed within all of us. But there are boundaries to the expression of the anger. And if I know the boundaries and I stay within them, I'm okay. But when I step over the boundaries, I can do a lot of damage. And like the trunk of that tree, I may try to make up for it, but I can never undo what has been done. It doesn't pay to live an angry life. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your word. And Father, the grace to to keep what you say has always been available. You, the fact that you say be angry yet do not sin automatically tells us that it's possible. But what that means is that in order to pull that off, I have to rely on your grace, your strength, your enablement. And Father, some of us are more prone to anger than others. Uh, Some of us, it may seem that anger is our middle name. But Father, that just means that uh, you desire to do a greater work of grace, which means, of course, that the testimony will be all the more eloquent in that life. Father, I I would ask that uh, the individuals under the sound of my voice. Uh, Should there be, as the Spirit uh, surfaces within them, their own attitudes and actions, uh, some of which uh, are ongoing, some of which uh, were in the pipeline to be done, uh, neither of which would bring glory and honor to your name, I would ask that you might, uh, by your Spirit, nudge them to turn away from those things. May they not justify misbehavior because they were offended by someone. May they not choose unrighteousness out of spite. May they not be ignorant of the consequences of poor choices. May they think them through and commit them to you. I pray for that one or several that may be here today who says, well, I I, I can't get over my bout with anger. I I just don't have it in me. And if that's because they've never known Christ and the pardoning of their sins, then that's true because they're still at the mercy of their old nature. But Father, you desire to give them a new nature. You desire to change them on the inside that they may walk apart from anger. Father, strengthen them today. Uh, to turn to you and help each of us today to seek to imitate you. And Father, may we follow the patterns spelled out in your word to build great relationships with those around us. We thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.